Hey there, listener. If you like what you hear on World Changing Women, you should join us at the Conscious Company Leaders Forum, where we bring together tons of stories like this live, in person, outside of Santa Cruz, California at 1440 Multiversity. Go to ConsciousCompanyLeadersForum.com for more information. I'm Megan French Dunbar, co-founder and CEO of Conscious Company Media, and welcome to World Changing Women. Each week, we interview some of the most badass female founders in the world to get their insights on how they've built game-changing companies that actually have a positive impact on the world. Our hope here is to inspire and help people of all backgrounds who feel like starting a business or chasing their dream is out of their reach to reconsider. We'll hear the good, the bad, and sometimes even the ugly of what it takes to start and build something incredible. And we hope that every episode will leave you inspired, hopeful, and with practical tips that will help you along your journey. Welcome to World Changing Women. I feel like when when you get pulled, like really pulled, that those are the moments to really pay attention to. Rosemary, vanilla, eucalyptus, bergamot, lavender. For decades, Susan Griffin Black has been harvesting the essence of nature. As co-founder of the brand EO, Susan has created a line of ethical and sustainable body care products based on her passion for pure essential oils. A certified B Corp, EO has a purpose of creating natural products that are both good for people and the planet. Prior to bootstrapping this idea into a successful multi-million dollar business, Susan spent years working in the fashion industry. She traveled frequently, and it was on one of these buying trips in London that she discovered a curious little shop. Which I walked into and I just stopped. The smell was indescribable, and it was an apothecary, and you went upstairs to go to the homeopath or the herbalist or the aromatherapist, And then you came down and you got your prescription filled in the apothecary. And then along with that, they had, you know, every essential oil, every dried herb, every herbal tincture, plus a lot of books and learning and raw materials for DIY. And I picked up this little bottle of lavender essential oil and I smelled it. And it's it's almost like, you know, just the whole world opened up. Mm. I looked around. And all of this happened, you know, in like split second. I looked around and I thought, this is what I want to do, you know. And I put the, I, I don't even think I bought the lavender essential oil. I think I put it down and then, you know, we were, I was sort of in a group and we were sort of rushing through things. And then I, and then I left and I thought, that is just, that felt so good. There was something that was so vital and vibrant about that combination smell of all of those essential oils together with herbs, with tinctures. The whole, it felt like um, an, the best urban farm garden, flower shop, botanical garden, arboretum, like everything that alive, you know, was in this little teeny 500 square feet. So, uh, I left, and when I got home, I was on it, you know. We started our company, which was, you know, Neil's Yard USA, and for three years we wholesaled, and I learned everything I could about products, and 
after about two years, I could see that schlepping blue bottles halfway around the world was just not my calling. And so it was a jumping off point. We, we decided we would be a distributor, not a licensee. And then that would give us a little more space to do other projects and, and so forth. So we started doing some private label projects. We started filling things. We started, you know, sort of making up our own things. Birkenstock came to us for a little gift kit. And then we started doing private label for Mervyn's and that sort of carried the day. So we, we severed our relationship with Neil's Yard after about three years. And Bloomingdale's wanted a few essential oil blends for their holiday catalog in 1995. And that's how we started EO. So it, it wasn't a very big order, it was like 90 of each. We needed a label, we needed, a, I sat with my friend who was a graphic designer at Apple. And we came up with the typeface and just this little very simple label. EO stands for essential oils, you know, it's the heart and soul of everything we do. and whipped up a few blends, poured them, and, you know, beaker, mix, bottle, cap, and shipped them to Bloomingdale's. And then we realized, I think we just started our own brand, you know? And so that all unfolded while we were, learned how to manufacture, while we were doing private label for other people, and then it grew very organically, you know, from there. So... That's a really long-winded answer to the, the first question. <laughs> <laughs> and before we go into the growth of the company, I'm, I want to go back to this moment in, I think it was 1991, where you decided to quit your job with a four-year-old mm-hmm. to start, uh, well, uh, really start a business. Mm-hmm. What were you thinking at that moment? Like, what? I, there's so many women, there's so many men, there's so many people out there who have an idea for a business and something they want to do, and they have all the reasons in the world why they can't do it, especially with the financial responsibilities that they have with children, with all the reasons, the stories that we tell ourselves on why I can't do something. What was it for you that told you that you could do this? There was nothing I don't, I don't think that said I could do it. It was more that... I would say, how can I not do this when this is so compelling? You know, it was just so compelling that I wanted to learn about it. And, you know, when things, I, I feel like when when you get pulled, like really pulled, that those are the moments to really pay attention to. Even if, you know, when I look back, I can see where that same pull happened, you know, in my grandma's garden, you know, uh, picking little cherry tomatoes with the fireflies and humidity on the East Coast. Lilacs, I've always loved lilacs. You know, my mother's used to wear joy perfume. You know, just all the little sort of touch points of what made me feel alive or what makes anyone feel connected and alive and uh, capable of living this human life more fully, maybe. You know, it's like th- those. those are the... Those are the points to pay attention to, I can say, you know, at this time in life, although I could never articulate it or even identify it, then it's easier in hindsight, you know. So anyway, I I think that um, I always dreamt about, like, making a living and having a life and having those be the same thing. And especially with my son, who was four at the time, because I was traveling a lot 
for those early years. And, um, you know, I didn't really like it. I, I really liked the idea of being with him and flexible and working, but in, in proximity without ever having to go anywhere. That was sort of the idea, you know. And, and when we started EO, same, same thing. I, I had my daughter a year later, and I don't think I traveled. I don't think I got on a plane for years. And that was the idea, you know, after all that just ongoing travel and always the coming and going and the and the having to plug back in and re-enter and then pull away and no I just I, I, I didn't I always felt frazzled and anxious in, in all of those sort of years hmm. so let's fast forward again to 1995 I think it is and you've kind of accidentally created your own brand you've created eo products mm -hmm. what did you do from that point forward what were the actual steps that you took to actually start growing your brand we hired a, a salesperson and a sales broker and started selling the products into um, specialty gift stores for the first two years and then we went to whole foods in 97 and um it was the original Whole Foods in Mill Valley. And Whole Foods at that time had about 60 stores. And they, they wouldn't bring it in at first. So we called and put on the bulletin board. We called every single person that we knew from the kids' school and made them write a note on the community board. Plus, we would, like, you know, guerrilla market, like, hi, do you have EO? Like, yeah, what? <laughs> And so they finally brought it in. And then, you know, then we went to one Whole Foods store at a time and realized that this this was the other thing that happened. You know, it's like the natural products people, they, they were my tribe. I mean, I, I didn't, everything was emerging and sort of, you know, dependently co-arising. Right. So the whole natural foods uh, marketplace, and what we were doing and how that met and how I, you know, got to meet all of those people. And it was, it was, it was great, you know? I just felt like these are my people, this is what I want to do. And then everything sort of supported each other. And, and I also think a really significant part of this is that we didn't have any money. So, uh, you know, very sort of contraindicated to these times the idea of not having enough money made us really um, resourceful and scrappy and devoted in a, di in a different way. And so that we had to make it happen because we wanted it. And also, the, it, it felt right, and the people that we started to work with who, were, who we hired or, you know, the stakeholder, other stakeholders that we were involved with, whether it was our bank or insurance person or, you know, we were, we were building community through having a, having a company and making products that we really loved to make and were inspired by and learned from and all of that, you know. 
So when you say we in these kind of early days of 1995 to 1997, who are the key players at EO Products at that time? So um, my former husband, co-founder and still current business partner, father of my daughter, Lucy, and I set down the path together in 95. He was, clothing, he was closing his uh, clothing company and we had met years before. And I had this project for Birkenstock and he, we were filling bottles by hand and we needed to fill 10,000 in like, you know, two weeks, plus make this little package of bath salts, plus hand stamp the box, you know? And Brad came down and he was like, dude, no, 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 no. We got to gravity fill all of these bottles. And I was like, he sort of had me at, you know, gravity feed. And and we were, you know, we, we were dating then and we were, we had thought about working together. We had helped each other quite a bit, you know, with business plans and finance and, and so forth and ideas. And then it was sort of like, well, let's see how this works. So he closed his company, <clears throat> excuse me, and then he we started working together. And that was um, 24 years ago. We were married for 11. We've been divorced for uh, 12 and uh, you know, that's that's another story. It's a good. It's a uh, it's a transcendent story also. And I'm so happy that we are still working together because it all really is in the family. You know. Well, we'll get into that in just a bit. Um, but I still want to kind of yeah pull through this this founding story. So. How did you guys, so you mentioned so much of the innovation at the beginning was really just because you didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. How did you end up financing EO from the beginning in those early 95 to 97 years? Was it all self-financed? And then what type of financing have you done as the company has grown? So um, all self, friends, family financing, a few angel investors. Uh, then we paid back some of our original angel investors because that entity was a license, right? And then we raised a little bit more from um, angels and uh, got an SBA loan from the bank. And so we have not um, taken any outside money and we are bank financed. We raised a little bit more money from uh, angel investors that we always had And talk about patient capital, man. It's like, (laughs) you know, people put money in and, you know, 97, 2002, right? I think the last uh, money we took was maybe 2005, a couple hundred thousand bucks, but that's it. And so it's it's really been about the bank and putting everything back in. We've been so... um, adamant about not taking outside um, money because we didn't like the model of private equity. The people, it, it has nothing to do with the people. There's some wonderful people who are working in private equity and family offices and doing great things. And it still, for the most part, is private equity, which is relatively short term, not very patient. Emphasis is on growth for growth's sake. And, you know, there, there has to be an exit. 
And so that that seemed like undue pressure, especially, you know, this is this is my second sort of career, if you will, or you know, vocation. So at this at that point in life, you know, I just and and for the past twenty years, I just wasn't really the idea of growing fast so that we could exit was just not in our vocabulary or just had nothing to do with why we were doing this, how we were doing this, you know. It, you know, it's, it's, money's a funny thing because you absolutely need it to survive. You have to at least break even and then, you know, and have positive cash flow. We, we just, as a, as a culture and individually, you know, the greed aspect of money is so insidious and sort of pushes us and pulls us into kind of some really dark areas. And it, 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 it was so apparent to me that it wasn't worth it, that it kept me, that idea kept me on track, you know. So you've been building EO now for 24 years. Mm-hmm. And has it been a slow build the entire time? Or what, what do you think has been kind of the key to the growth that you've experienced as a company? In, um, I think, 2006, seven, um, when the downturn started to happen before the, you know, the real crash in 2008, we had, we had uh, I think we came out with our um, lavender organic lavender hand sanitizer. And that was like a key product for some reason, that product took off and then H1N1 came into the picture. And we were just about to go to a four day work week, which we have done several times. It's like, okay, you know, we just don't have the orders. And if we all go to a four day work week, then nobody, we, we didn't have to lay anyone off. So we would do this periodically and then try to make it up in good times. There were there was a time, I think, in, yeah, a little bit after that when the whole senior team took, went on a four-day work week for like four or five months and we made it up, you know. So we've always sort of just figured out a way through. I think Brad has said this the best, is that we've been really good at not going out of business. And um, that's that's sort of been the, the key. Um, so... Uh, so hand sanitizer sort of came came into the picture, H1N1, business, we had a really big sort of hockey stick bump then. And then in 2012, uh, my son came home with his band and I went to the bathroom and there were all sorts of nasty products and I had like a focus group and they were like, mama, we can't... Uh, we can't really afford EO, and there's not enough in the bottle, and da da da. We need like a big bottle, you know. So, <laughs> so I took that back to a to product development, and we worked on how could we do this, you know, and take essential oils and all everything we've learned and make a more value-driven product. And so that was the um, orientation for everyone. Our second product line that started in 2012, and that's really driven quite a bit of growth over the past six years. Fantastic. So I'm curious for you, looking back on all of this, what has been the most painful lesson that you've learned as a business owner? Why, there's been so many. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Do I really have to pick one? Uh, you know, the, the, the up and down of cash flow and sales and, and never having working capital has been tough. You know, I wouldn't really recommend it. There's, there's a point where there's enough, and, I, and that's a different point for everyone, but it would have been nice to have a, a little bit more of a cushion, I think. I think you don't, I, I, don't real, I didn't really realize how much pressure I was under until I wasn't under it anymore. And it just sort of becomes, this is how I live. This is my life. And it wasn't a complaint. It was just sort of a state of, mm, I had to do this in order to do this. So it was intense. And in a way that mm, could have been loosened up maybe a teeny bit. Mm-hmm. And also just better learning, better management, better finance people, you know, collecting receivables better. I mean, it, got, it can get very sort of granular in that, in that question and answer. That and also realizing that better hiring and letting people go sooner when um, we knew it wasn't right. And letting people go in the best way possible, but parting ways. So speaking of parting ways, you mentioned this earlier. Mm-hmm. You and your co-founder were married for 11 years and have been divorced for 12 years, but you still run the company together. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about that experience and also just what you've learned from that and how you guys have managed to stay co-founders of a business? Yes. Um, before we split, you know, we had a, a rough couple of years of not knowing whether our, was our marriage in trouble because we were under so much financial pressure? Was, is that why we were growing apart? Or was it because we had a baby, you know, well, she was nine by the time we finally split, but just family life. It's like, where, where were we as a couple in all of these other things? And it was really hard to sort of tease apart. And I remember once we decided to separate, and it took us a while to to do that physically, knowing that I really, I really wanted to make it work so that we worked together because I really understood that we were going to be parents forever and together. And we both brought a individual strengths and sort of a synergy and strengths to the business and that would be so much better because I mean you could say simply say the devil you know but it really is sort of you know we had already known each other and been together for 13 years so you know you don't really have the luxury ever of having that sort of relationship with investors or other people so it's family you know and so if we could just sort of figure out what that transition relationship looked like and the difficulty of that. And we had, you know, coaches and shrinks and outside help and and then make it through that, that we, not everything had to go down in the change of our relationship. And, you know, it was very difficult and and there was no betrayal. And I think that is, that's also key. I remember calling Drake Sadler from Traditional Medicinals, and I was saying, because, you know, I sort of witnessed Doug and Susie's difficulty in separating and, you know, and and my parents' divorce and my own divorce. And so, you know, I, I, I could see the, 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 uh, the desperate p- 
painful, emotional crucible of what it is that you have to, what it is that it just calls us to sort of go through. And then I called Drake and I said, Brad and I are splitting. And he said, okay, how ugly, how bad? And I'm like, it's not really bad. I said, it's, it's no other people. He's like, oh, that's good, you know. So, so we talked through this and I said, just give me one example of someone who made it through this and it got to the other side. He's like, okay, let me think, let me think. He said, Ed and Sarah from Herb Farm. And I was like, wow, I know Ed and Sarah. But not really, but sort of. You know, I, I, I was at a conference and I talked to both of them. And he said, they're living great. They live on separate, uh, on a mutual piece of, a shared piece of property on separate ends. They travel for three months, each travel for three months out of the year. They're doing great. And I, you know, I always knew I could call Sarah. And I, I don't think I ever called her. I just like, I just held that example. And I thought, you know, that's, it's so possible. Like, and it would be so much better for everyone, you know, if we could do this. So, so we did. And everything's worked out? You know, it's, for, it's really hard having two CEOs. Yeah. Really hard, under the best of circumstances. So uh, it depends what you mean by worked out. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a short answer, yes. <laughs> it's a... Uh, it's it's uh, simple and uh, you know, but it, and it's not easy. Excellent. So, you've you've already kind of brought up most painful lesson you've learned, but I'm curious if you were able to talk to other business leaders or aspiring entrepreneurs. What are the top three lessons that you would impart on them in terms of what you've learned on your journey? Um, <clears throat> be the queen of cash flow. Can't, you know, really, really queen of cash flow. Cash flow is really the lifeblood. Even if you break even or lose a little bit, you know, cash flows, you got to really pay attention to that. And it's, no one really talks about it. You know, they talk about top line, they talk about bottom line, but they don't talk about sort of how, how it comes and goes. So I think it's really important. Um, trust your instincts and um, treat people the way you want to be treated. Love it. Um, so moving on a little bit to more general questions. Um, what does your daily routine look like? Uh, I get up around 7.30 or 8. I make a coffee, meditate for between 10 and 20 minutes, and then I read everything that I haven't read the night before. and. So whether it's Fast Company or the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or just, you know, get a pretty full idea of what's going on in the business world, focus on my day and, and get to work usually like by 10. How late do you usually work? Till 4.10 because I try to get to yoga at 4.30. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Do you have any practices that really help to keep you grounded, um, knowing kind of the stress and pressure that business leaders are often under? What helps to keep you the most sane? Uh, I've been a Zen Buddhist student for 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. So, 
And so when I say that, you know, what I mean is I've practiced pretty wholeheartedly and extensively um, throughout. And so I feel like that Zen practice and having a community to practice with and having a teacher and receiving the precepts and listening to many, many talks and going on meditation retreat. And really, I've been devoted to that as my principal orientation to maybe how to live a human life. And so that really informs everything. For anyone who just heard that and was like, ooh, I'm interested in that, where would you suggest they start? Well, there's a book called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind that um, Suzuki Roshi, who brought Zen to the West, uh, he started San Francisco Zen Center, may be worth reading. And also just check out San Francisco Zen Center. There's a lot of um, other branches from from that practice that are throughout the country. Um, What is the most important thing in your life right now? Oh, the people I love, without question. So, and spending, and not loving them, not just loving them, it's um, spending time and making sure that I'm available for the people who are most important to me. And then I would say also mm, on the legacy side of things, it's always been uh, critical to help other people, especially women in business. So I do make time for anyone who comes my way to talk about whatever is most difficult for them. And um, that's always been an integral part of my work practice and you know way of connecting. So that too. Can you tell me about a life-changing moment that you've had on your journey? Yes, uh, my son's father, when my son was 13, um, had been diagnosed with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma a couple of years before. And we thought he had a very long prognosis and he was married to another woman and um, that was all good and uh, had a three-year-old and she was pregnant and everything went south really quickly. So my son was 13, my daughter was three. I was married to Brad, we had a yo. My Carol, my, uh, my former husband's wife, my son's stepmom, had a three-year-old and was pregnant. And Bill was in the hospital dying and had, uh, Will was born and Bill lived for one more month. So I had studied Buddhism and I had been studying Buddhism for a while. And being in the presence of birth and death in the same hospital, in different wings of the same hospital changed everything, 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 forever. And and Bill died a month after Will was born. And, you know, I spent quite a few years after that really studying and trying to understand, um, understand our human condition and suffering. And what I learned is, you know, that love is really eternal and that um, birth and death 
are real, like no shit, like, you know. Uh, there's a Buddha saying that is, uh, great are the matters of birth and death, do not waste time. And it really, really has informed my whole life. That was 19 years ago. And one quick follow-up question on that. Do you have any advice for CEOs who are dealing with trauma in their lives? Uh, yeah, I, I think you have to take the time and get the support that you need to, to grieve and get real with that because by softening in that way, um, what I learned was um, a lot about compassion and a lot about how I wanted to be in the world despite how the world wanted me to be, you know. Thank you. What is giving you hope right now? Um, <clears throat> yeah, nothing really. And I, and I don't mean that in a, in a like, uh, sink, I, I don't have a sinking feeling. I just think that there's really nothing to hold on to and that we have to really bravely, you know, put one foot in front of the other and trust ourselves and each other to like move to the next place. Because for me, hope sometimes um, really implies holding on to something. And I just don't feel like there's really much to hold on to. A huge thanks this week goes out to Susan Griffin Black and the entire team over at EO Products. The World Changing Women podcast is brought to you by Conscious Company Media and is produced by StoryPop Media. If you like what you're hearing, we'd be so grateful if you tell a friend about the show. And be sure to subscribe to get the latest episode. Thanks so much for listening. A StoryPop Media production.